Welcome back to the Foreign Desk Podcast. I'm Lisa Deftari. So much going on as Russia continues one month since it began its invasion of Ukraine. Putin, accused of being a war criminal, has been sanctioned and called plenty of names, but he continues in his quest. While 3.4 million refugees have left Ukraine and thousands have been killed, including American journalists and citizens and others still looking to get out. President Biden, meanwhile, has just landed in Brussels, where he will be meeting with NATO members. Will we see further escalation or is there a way out? To join me in conversation, breaking this all down is my good friend, Niall Gardner, director of the Margaret Thatcher Center for Freedom at the Heritage Foundation, leading authority on Brexit before joining Heritage. Uh, Niall Gardner served as foreign policy aide to Lady Thatcher in her private office in London. He is a prominent expert on US-British relations, US foreign policy, the Transatlantic Alliance, a PhD from Yale, undergraduate from Oxford. He's a smart, smart guy, served as, as foreign policy advisor to three US presidential candidates, including Ted Cruz, Mitt Romney, and Rudy Giuliani. Welcome back to the show, Nile. It's great to be here. Thanks very much, Lisa. It's great to see you. So now, as we as we speak, President Biden literally arrived in, in Brussels just a few moments ago, meeting with NATO members. What are your thoughts on uh, what will he say and what can potentially come out of this trip? Uh, well, I have to say, I mean, this is an important trip for uh, you know, President Biden, arguably his most important overseas uh, trip so far of his presidency. Uh, and you know, Biden, uh, as, as we well know, has come under a lot of fire domestically for his overall uh, approach to the Ukraine uh, crisis. He has been, uh, I think, rightly uh, you know, criticized for a lack of strong, robust leadership over Ukraine. And many uh, in Washington are arguing, uh, including myself, that you know, Biden's been far too deferential in a way to, uh, to Vladimir Putin. Too many concessions, not enough, uh, you know, tough resolve from the president. So, you know, this is an opportunity for Joe Biden to rally the NATO alliance. He'll be in Brussels, uh, of course, uh, this, this week, and also in Warsaw as well, meeting with Polish leaders. So, two very important uh, components to this trip. And many uh, of our European partners and allies are looking for strong, robust US leadership at this time. And in the wake of the Afghanistan withdrawal uh, last year, there are many questions about, uh, about US leadership uh, globally. Uh, there is a sense in Europe that the United States is a superpower in decline. The Afghanistan withdrawal was an absolute catastrophe in the eyes of, of many of our European allies and partners. It also significantly, I think, emboldened uh, Vladimir Putin. And I think that without the fall of Afghanistan, uh, I, I very much doubt that Putin would be in Ukraine today. And I, I do think, you know, the two are directly linked in the sense that, you know, Putin uh, sees America as weak. Uh, and so there is this concern, I think, in Europe that, you know, Joe Biden doesn't have the kind of stomach to lead the free world. So so let's see what happens. Let's see if Biden does redeem himself in any way. But, but you know, he goes to Europe, I think, in a relatively weak position in terms of how he is viewed across the Atlantic. And I've spoken to a wide range of European uh, politicians, MPs, uh, you know, government officials. Uh, and, uh, you know, I would say the, the overall consensus is that Biden's been a huge disappointment, actually, as US president. I think domestically, a lot of, of, of people, even those who voted for him, feel the same way, that, that it was lack of leadership and that the posturing that led us to this moment. Is there is there something he can do to redeem himself or to um, perhaps, you know, de-escalate? Or, um, I mean, what what's the best case scenario? If you had his ear right now, how would you guide him as to how to handle this trip, what to say, and what's the best case scenario? 
Well, I think firstly, you know, Joe Biden has to really act like the leader of the free world. Uh, I think that, you know, Biden has uh, been, you know, very weak need as, as president. Uh, he has moved with, uh, you know, at an incredibly slow pace. In fact, you know, Biden, as I, as I wrote in a, a Telegraph article this morning, Joe Biden has sort of moved at the pace of a sort of tortoise on a, you know, on a hot surface, sort of slowly moving across you know, a driveway. And, you know, you pull act faster. So, so Biden is, he's very reactive rather than, uh, I would say, anticipating events. Uh, so, for example, when Russian forces were massing on the border of Ukraine as early as March last year, Biden didn't respond at all. Uh, the British actually, in contrast, started supplying thousands of missiles to the Ukrainians over a year ago. And we're now seeing the impact of those missiles taking out Russian tanks, etc. Uh, and the British also sent a thousand trainers on the ground a year ago uh, to Ukraine, whereas Biden did basically nothing at all. So, you know, so Biden has to really, I think, lead. He has to uh, rally the NATO alliance, NATO alliance. At, at a critically important time. Uh, and he has to, I think, project the kind of strength and resolve and leadership that is expected of the leader of the free world. He also has to come up, I think, with a clear uh, you know, plan of action uh, for the NATO alliance. Uh, and, and so, for example, how is NATO going to respond to a chemical attack uh, from, uh, you know, from Russia against Ukraine? Uh, how will the NATO alliance uh, respond to you know, the possibility of large-scale uh, mass uh, killing, ethnic cleansing. I mean, Putin's already beginning this now. But we need to see more detail about how the United States and, and NATO will, will respond to a further escalation of the crisis. And also, I think, that you know, it's time for Joe Biden to, uh, you know, to end this, uh, you know, this ridiculous idea that, uh, you know, we, we've got to stop, you know, provoking the Russians or escalating things as, as what the White House called the White House. You know, Biden, Biden needs to work sending MiG-29 fighters uh, over to uh, to Ukraine, as the Ukrainians have requested. The polls have offered this. Uh, you know, Biden claims he didn't know anything about it, which is a complete and utter lie. Uh, and uh, and so, you know, it's time for, for Biden to work with our allies, stop throwing them under the bus, especially the polls, uh, and show a bit of grit and determination uh, he leads the world superpower. Uh, the United States is the most powerful nation in the world. He doesn't need to kowtow or grovel to Vladimir Putin as he has done on, on a number of a number of fronts. So, uh, you know, th there are so many things actually that Biden should be doing. Uh, and um, but you know, the reality is that you know Biden, I have to, have to say, you know, behaves uh, you know as as world leader with with a great degree of overconfidence, hubris. Uh, and not enough strategic foresight. In fact, there's no real White House strategy whatsoever, I think, for dealing with the Russians, you know, long term as an adversary. And, and this is a huge failure of leadership, I think, on the part of the Biden presidency. I do want to um, I want to bring everyone's attention to your article today in Telegraph, Joe Biden's apathetic approach to Putin is alienating America's allies. You talk about how the West is looking for U.S. leadership, but obviously President Biden failing to deliver that. You write his leadership on the world stage projects a staggering complacency that lacks urgency, foresight or any kind of strategic vision um, to basically paraphrase uh, from a, a very concise and, and well-written piece about what has not been done and what needs to be done. Um, you know, it's it's interesting to watch President Biden 
He's, he's promising us that chemical weapons will be used. He's not citing actual evidence. And then he's telling private companies with large online infrastructures, you have to harden your soft targets because there will, in fact, be a cyber attack. And on the other hand, he dragged his feet on the oil sanctions against Russia. He did an about face about sending jets to Ukraine. He's shied away from a no-fly no zone over Ukraine over fear of, you know, escalating, you know, and guess who doesn't uh, fear escalation? The Russians. Um, so why why this back and forth? Is the White House truly confused? I mean, to your to your previous point, they do lack a strategy. We, we can all, I think, agree on that. And I think there's been a lot of bipartisan, um, you know, hinting toward the fact that there is a lack of strategy here. But is this by design or is there new intelligence that kind of makes them go back and forth? Why are we here and why are we pussyfooting around on something so serious? Well, I think, you know, there exists a, a sort of culture of fear uh, within the, you know, the Biden uh, White House. I mean, this is a fearful uh, presidency. They, um, you know, they, they fear America's adversaries. They, they like to make concessions. It's not just on the Russian front. You see it with China. You see it with Iran, uh, with the, you know, appalling negotiations that are taking place right alongside, the, you know, the Russians with regard to a new Iran nuclear deal. So, you know, there's kind of very, very muddled strategic thinking going on in this White House. But but also, clearly, they fear America's adversaries. Uh, they, you know, they fear what Putin may do, uh, you know, may do next. They're absolutely petrified, of course, of being drawn into a bigger conflict in, uh, you know, in Europe. You know, the best way to avoid being drawn into a, a you know, a, a sort of European-wide war is to stand up to Putin you know, with strength and, and resolve. And deterrence is by far the most effective way of being, uh, you know, avoiding being dragged into war. But Biden hasn't focused on deterrence. There's no deterrence ahead of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, and had, had Biden actually moved earlier to actually arm the Ukrainians with everything they needed, I think the Russians would have thought twice before invading uh, Ukraine. Or if Biden had sanctioned the Nord Stream 2 pipeline uh, being built from, uh, you know, from Russia to Germany. Uh, that would have sent a message to the Russians. On so many fronts, you know, Biden uh, has been terribly slow. He wouldn't sanction, uh, you know, Russian oil un until he faced tremendous pressure, not only from Republicans, but also from his own party as well, condemned it. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, this is a president who does everything at the last minute, only after being pressured into doing so. Uh, why not take all this action, you know, way before? And right. that's the best route for America to prevent being dra dragged into a wider war in Europe. Now, obviously, uh, and I want you to take a, a listen to this clip, and I want to get your, your your thoughts on it, but President Biden and everyone around him, they know what it takes. They talk about leadership. They talk about delivering a stern message to Russia, and yet here we are. Take a listen to this clip. You know, we are at an inflection point, I believe, in the world economy not just the world economy in the world, it occurs every three or four generations. As one of as the uh, one of the top military people said to me in a secure meeting the other day, 60, 60 million people died between 1900 and 1946. And uh, since then, we established a liberal world order, and that hadn't happened in a long while. A lot of people died, but nowhere near the chaos. And now is a time when things are shifting. We're going to, there's going to be a new world order out there and we've got to lead it. We've got to unite the rest of the free world in doing it. So anyway. Okay. So, um, if you can make out what he's saying, uh, it's, it's, uh, ironic because he, uh, 
this is the Obama 2.0 presidency, but yet um, we, we definitely don't have the orator that we had in Obama and this guy. It's hard to make out what he's saying. And clear communications is not his or his uh, vice president's strong suit by any means. So um, he talks about a reset. He talks about leadership. He talks about leading the world. What is this reset that he's referring to? Um, that's a good question because, you know, uh... A lot of what Biden says is, is frankly incomprehensible. And I was listening to that <laughs> now, trying to figure out exactly what he was, you know, trying to uh, trying to say. And, and I think the language he uses doesn't exactly help himself in talking about some new world order. And so, I mean, this is, you know, some of this is kind of bizarre, bizarre uh, you know, talk actually. And um, and so, you know, the, the main thing here, of course, is that you know the Russians seek to um, they seek to destroy. I think American leadership on the world stage, and they seek to destroy the the strength of the the transatlantic alliance. They they seek to destroy, I, I would say, you know, Western leadership that has been dominant in the post post World War II era. Uh, you know, basically that's Putin's goal here. I mean, you know, Ukraine is just part of the bigger jigsaw puzzle for Putin. If he can undermine, you know, American leadership, Western leadership on the world stage, together with China, if possible, and working with the likes of Iran and North Korea and other mm -hmm. you know, rogue regimes, Putin's going to do that, actually. And so, you know, I think that that's really what, you know, Biden should be focusing on. And, uh, you know, I have to say that, you know, Biden, increasingly, he comes across as very confused uh, <laughs> in, his, in his statements. And uh, it doesn't exactly fill us with reassurance and no. so, I mean, Kamala Harris, frankly, is even worse. I mean, when she went over to Europe, uh, you know, about three weeks ago, and she went over to Poland, and she was right. literally, you know, giggling and laughing in a press conference about Polish refugees, Ukrainian right. refugees in Poland. Uh, and I thought, I mean, this is just catastrophic, actually. I mean, you know, you have a, a Biden presidency right. that is all over the place. They don't take things seriously. You've got the vice president literally laughing next to the president of Poland. Uh, you know, what are they thinking? Uh, and um, I mean, this is just, you know, they're just undermining America on the world stage here. And I, I fear for the future of the free world, frankly, with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris running the show. Yeah, you know, it, what's interesting, and, and I absolutely agree with you, but what, I mean, when he says new world order, I mean, this is more like the old world order when you have, you know, a, a, a country invading another country, it takes us back, you know, five, six decades. Uh, you know, we're talking about, um, what, what does he mean that the U.S. should relinquish our leadership in the world? Because then he talks about leadership. So it's, it's, it's definitely confusing. And those who have sought out a way of exp explaining this have been called conspiracy theorists in the aftermath. So the media doesn't want us to talk about it. They want us to just sweep it away. They don't really want to kind of make any sense of, of what he's saying. But this kind of goes back to the, you know, back and forth of, of, of a confusing message from, from the White House in, in a very, very important time. I want to bring your attention, uh, Niall, to uh, another uh, piece of breaking news today, and that is uh, the likelihood that NATO will approve more troops for its eastern flank. Um, in your opinion, is this just posturing or are we headed for actual, you know, further military escalation in this sense? Yeah, so I think you know what we are seeing is a is a sort of gradual increase U.S. military buildup on the eastern flank of the the NATO alliance in the Baltic states, Poland, etc. Um, and I mean, I think I do think this is the right you know the right approach. And and also actually, it's interesting that public opinion polls in the United States demonstrate strong support actually for the deployment of additional U.S. forces in Europe. There isn't, of course, you know, uh, public uh, you know. 
uh, majority support at all for, for any anything like putting U.S. boots on the ground in Ukraine. And I don't think that uh, you know either side of the political aisle is suggesting that in in the United yeah. States. Uh, but yeah. there is strong public support actually for strengthening the NATO alliance, and I think that moves to deploy more U.S. forces uh, to the eastern flank of NATO are the right thing. Uh, and uh, you know, also politically popular, actually, with the U.S. public, and that, that's that's an interesting, uh, you know, perspective here. I mean, the U.S. public is not isolationist; actually, quite the opposite. They care about American leadership. Uh, but but again, I think with Joe Biden, you know, a lot of this is is you know is slow. Uh, some of it's too little, too late, uh, and uh, you know, this should have been done a lot earlier. Uh, and um, you know, this should have been done actually before the invasion of Ukraine uh, to send another message of strength to, you know, to, right. uh, to Putin. R Ronald Reagan would have vastly increased, I think, U.S. military power and capability in Eastern Europe to try and deter any any effort by by the Russians to do anything at all. Uh, so, you know, so Biden, he always does stuff really at the last minute and you know, a lot of it seems kind of hard. Let me, let, me, uh, let me play devil's advocate here for a minute, yeah. Niall. Sorry to cut you off there. Yeah. Um, but along the same, same lines, if we do beef up our assets, the NATO uh, alliance on the eastern flank, don't we increase the probability that Article 5 may be invoked at, at any point and even, even accidentally? Well, I mean, you know, Article 5 would be automatically... Um, invoked uh, as soon as the Russians make any uh, attack on NATO territory or troops. Uh, and so that would come into play immediately. I mean, it doesn't matter how many troops you've got on the, on the border. Um, and uh, I think we're far less likely to have to invoke Article 5 if we have a very big, uh, you know, not just US military presence, but also uh, allied presence. That has to include um, also not only Great Britain, of course, they've already got a lot of forces there, but but all countries in, in the NATO alliance need to step up to the plate here, including the Germans, for example, who've been absolutely mm -hmm. useless, I think, uh, on, on the, you know, with regard to NATO issues in recent decades. Uh, and, and so this is not just a US responsibility. I mean, all European nations need to be, uh, you know, united uh, together in, in sending forces to the Baltic states, for example. I think the Russians are far less likely to try anything if you've got a very large military presence in the Baltics and, and in Poland and countries like Romania as, as well. Uh, and uh, and so that, that that in my view actually reduces the likelihood of some kind of actual military confrontation. Yeah, and uh, you know Zelensky in the last twenty four hours says if it means you know having peace, we're not going to join NATO. Um, and if you know, we had on the foreign desk the six items uh, that uh, that that Putin has requested in order to uh, to to actually begin talks or to begin uh, a ceasefire, um, you know, working towards some sort of of, of diplomatic resolution. Um, is it really about NATO? Is it really about any one of these items? It seems like his list isn't that demanding when it comes to what Zelensky is willing to surrender, willing to give up. If the concessions, if 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 the Ukrainians are are willing to meet the concessions, if the Ukrainians are asking for talks, if, the, if Zelensky is saying we're not going to uh, want to join NATO, then why aren't we moving forward with a diplomatic resolution here? Well, I think uh, you know I have a num number of thoughts on this. I firstly. Anything that Putin is saying, offering, demanding, uh, you know, I wouldn't trust anything at all coming from, from the Russians. You can't trust Putin. It's like a snake in the grass, really. Snakes in the grass, you've got to hit them on the head. Uh, and, uh, you know, our goal, I think, in Ukraine should be the defeat of the Russians. Uh, and uh, I don't think the Ukrainians are going to make any concessions, actually, to, uh, to Russia, especially in light of the fact that the Russians are really struggling militarily. It's not a situation where, you know, the Russians have... Um, 
you know, are in a, in a position definitely to conquer and occupy the country. In fact, you know, I think the Russians uh, could could lose this war uh, thanks to the bravery of the Ukrainians combined with the tremendous, I think, amount of weaponry that's flowing in the country. So th those two factors, plus you've got the sanctions factor as well, which is crippling the Russian economy. It's very expensive to fight a war. So, you know, I my view is that the Ukrainians are absolutely right, uh, you know, to avoid making any concessions. There have been talks already with the Russians. They've not conceded anything at all. Uh, and uh, and I think that, uh, you know, that, that's the right approach. Ultimately, the Ukrainians themselves have to decide if, you know, if, if they agree to some kind of peace terms, that's their decision. There should be no pressure applied from the United States or from NATO. That That's a Ukrainian decision for, for them to make a loan. Uh, but, but clearly, I, I think that Zelensky... Uh, is feeling increasingly, you know, confident that, uh, you know, the Russians are not going to be able to occupy the country. Uh, right. and, and the Russians, they're not going to take the capital city, I, I think. Uh, you know, it's such a, a huge city. I was, I was there a few years ago. It's about the size of Berlin. It's very mm -hmm. difficult to take Kiev. And uh, if the Russians don't take the capital city, they can't take the country. It's as simple as that. It's what's interesting, and, and absolutely, I think you you draw you know the outlines of, of the most important points here. Um, they haven't been able to do much in a month. They haven't actually even taken one city completely, uh, or they have been yeah. made headroads in in each place, but not really con completely taken over any one one place, which is unusual. But the other point being that does Putin lose? Does he lose? That's why you know, will he do whatever it takes, chemical weapons, you know, um, bio warfare, whatever he has yeah. up his sleeve in order to escalate this to a point where he cannot lose? Well, that's that's the big the big question here. And, uh, you know, whether, you know, whether or not, you know, Putin is going to um, continue this this relentless, uh, you know, drive to try and take the country or whether he's going to back off. And, um, you know, right now, there's no sign the Russians are going to back off. Uh, and I, I expect that this war is going to drag on for many more months. Uh, the Russians have lost, according to, you know, to various sources, um, including Ukrainian and British you know, intelligence sources, up to 15,000 troops out of 200,000. That's a large number. Can they sustain losses of 30, 40, 50,000 troops, which is what they'll have if they continue right. the war for another few months? Um, you know, maybe they can, maybe they can. I mean, it's 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 a it's a very large number. They've lost as many troops already as they've lost in the entire Afghanistan campaign in the 1980s, actually. So these are large numbers of troop losses, uh, and uh, and so, but at the same time, you know, we cannot underestimate just how ruthless uh, you know Putin is, and he doesn't care about human life. He kill civilians in large numbers. Uh, he may use chemical weapons if there's the use of chemical weapons. NATO has to have a planned response in place for that. You can't, you know, you can't accept that uh, on European soil today. The use of chemical weapons also will directly impact uh, the rest of Europe as well. Uh, and, right. uh, you know, so, you know, basically, Biden's got to describe exactly what the US response is going to be. We don't know because he hasn't said anything mm -hmm. about it. Uh, and, well, uh, so, you know, we need to warn the Russians about exactly what's going to happen if they use chemical weapons or if they start setting up concentration camps and starting putting hundreds of thousands of people uh, right. in death camps and so on, which they're quite capable of doing, the Russians. So, you know, yes. the evil, barbaric and savage is basically what the Russian military are today un under Putin's direction. And, you Absolutely. know, up to this barbarism. Right. But will they take the question is, will they take any con any any sort of warning from the U.S. seriously when there have been no consequences? And along those That's lines, a you, it's a very good you question. have 
You have President Biden, you have Jen Psaki delivering this tough rhetoric from the podium. You know, we're going to deliver, you know, um, killer sanctions and we're going to do this and we're going to make them, you know, really, really bring down Russia. But at the same time, uh, we're using the Russians to try to broker a deal with uh, Iran's yeah. regime. They're Which the go-between. Nice. And, yeah. and we're making promises to the Russians, not yeah. only promises. Yeah. They want this deal so badly, which is an awful deal. And that's a that's a different show. You'll have to come back and we'll talk yeah. more about that. But they, they are pushing Russia and Iran closer together, creating an alliance, obviously, to add to that China, this trifecta. And at the same time, we're saying we're going to punish Russia. Why would they take us seriously when yeah. we're, we're, we're basically, you know, uh, give, punishing them on one hand, uh, you know, superficially and behind the scenes um, rewarding them with yeah. you know this, this incredible incredible bonus yeah this you know lisa i mean your, your comments just now go to the heart of the the problem here which is that you know so biden talks tough in a press conference and you've got jen Psaki, you know saying all sorts of things and uh and uh you know all sorts of warnings against the russians but at the same time they're actually using Russia as a negotiating partner and the Iran nuclear deal. You know, what message does that send to our adversaries? And it's a message of weakness, confusion, muddled thinking. Uh, and, you know, so whatever Biden says, you know, I, I think the Russians just just think he's a pushover. You know, that, that's the reality. Biden's no Ronald Reagan. I mean, he's barely even, you know, Jimmy Carter, really. I mean, you know, I mean, Carter was stronger mm -hmm. than Biden, actually. Uh, and in fact, Jimmy Carter makes, you know, Joe Biden look like, uh, you know, uh, or actually, Joe Biden makes Jimmy Carter look like General Patton, perhaps. Uh, and, yeah. uh, you know, so this is the reality. How can you win like this? And, you know, Biden doesn't even talk about victory in Ukraine. Uh, you know, he, he never even talk, discusses right. that possibility. Right. Uh, it's a kind of, I don't know, it's a sort of mixture of, of sort of, uh, you know, bizarre strategic thinking with defeatism and, and cow cowardice and all sorts of things going on. This Biden White House is an absolute disaster. It really is. It's a catastrophe for the free world, the fact that we're led by people who have no sense of leadership or vision at all. And I mean, it is incredibly dangerous, the, the, the current situation, which is why the Russians are in Ukraine today, why the Chinese are threatening uh, Taiwan, why the right. Beijing-Moscow axis is closer than it has been since the 1950s. Uh, and so on so many fronts, I mean, this, this president's presidency is fundamentally undermining America's leadership in the world. And, and our enemies are, are taking full advantage of that. And as you point out on the Iran front, you know, it sends com completely contradictory signals. So so the Russians, they just think Biden, you know, well, they, they think they can get away with anything, really. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll have to leave it there. I know you have a, a packed schedule with uh, all of the TV and radio appearances you're doing. I encourage you all to follow Nile on Twitter, on social media, read his columns. He's brilliant. He's witty. He's savvy. He understands and connects the dots for us brilliantly. Thank you so much for coming back on our show. We'd love to have you again very, very soon. And to the rest of you who would like to subscribe to our podcast on YouTube, go to youtube.com slash Lisa Daftari. And to subscribe for free to our daily top 10 email, go to foreigndesknews.com and you can subscribe there. We will see you all next week.